0: Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Back pain. It is one of the most common reasons people visit their doctors, and over three quarters of us will experience this in our lifetime on average. But once a bad back, always a bad back? Well, not necessarily. Dr. Philip Lim, Interventional Pain Medicine, Medicine Specialist at Queen's Medical Center, is here in the studio. And we're going to discuss problems that occur with the spine, ranging from compression fractures and how they can be treated to problems with back pain that requires injections and interventions, and even back pain that may require just pain management with medicines. So we're going to be talking about this throughout the show today, but as always each week, our discussion is your discussion. And if you want to join us, you can at any time at 941-3689, Toll Free Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Lim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dr. Kozak. Well, thank you for being on. A lot of people have some misperceptions about back problems. You know, once they twist their back out, they think that's sort of something that's going to happen all the time. Let's talk briefly about what does it mean to have chronic back pain and what is it that you do?
1: So what I do, uh, chronic back pain is usually any back pain that's been greater than three months based on the... um, ASIP's definition of chronic back pain. So a lot of people have acute back pain, usually from a lumbar strain. Um, they like li- they lifted something too heavy. Exactly.
0: They twisted the wrong way. I've been there. And
1: when conservative therapy fails, then usually they would get referred to a pain specialist like myself, and we'd evaluate them and determine if there's something that can be um, imaged or evaluated to see if there's some sort of treatment available to resolve the pain or discuss chronic treatment strategies that might manage the pain. Because at that point, it might not be something that's acute anymore. It might be long-term.
0: So you mentioned the ASIP. Who are those folks?
1: It's the um, Society of uh, Pain... um, It's one of the societies in pain. Sure. So
0: in a a pain management society, they kind of have some guidelines out there. And you said if conservative treatment doesn't work. So let's just kind of go through a little scenario. So let's say that, oops, I lifted up a heavy, you know, sofa over the weekend and my back hurts. So that may be a problem for which I go see my primary care provider what sort of conservative treatment do we think about that has to be tried first?
1: So initially, rest is recommended. um, But after a while, you want to get up, move around. Studies show that lying down, doing nothing actually prolongs the pain. So you want some sort of conservative stretching, uh, walking, um, over-the-counter analgesics such as Tylenol and your non-steroidal analgesics such as ibuprofen or Advil. If those fail, then you want to start looking at physical therapy. Physical therapy, some of the modalities that they can offer um, acutely, but physical therapy more so for the education that they can offer you in terms of home exercise program. And how to not lift the heavy sofa again. That's the most important thing about physical therapy. It's about teaching you how to do things safely and prevent future injury.
0: So... Let's just say I did this little self episode, which honestly I didn't. But we're we're just going to go down this this path. I've learned my lesson about couches, and so I've done this. I'm I'm home. I'm resting. I'm doing a little walking around the house. I'm feeling a little better. I'm taking my ibuprofen, but I'm not a hundred percent better. The reason why I may want to see physical therapy is because there are some things that I can do even while I have pain, but also because I need to learn how to do things appropriately so I don't get back to that point again. Yes. Okay. So even if I'm in pain, I could still go to therapy because I'm going to learn something.
1: Yes. That's the most important thing. Okay. You know, You want to help. Sometimes there's that muscle strain that physical therapy can help you deal with and strengthen around that that uh, that problem. Stretching, for instance, good stretching exercises to help break some of those spasms. Um, but also just the reason why you got in that situation in the first place, how to not do that again.
0: Okay, and then also we talk about strengthening the core. That's something we hear a lot about. Yes, And a lot of folks don't realize that it's the abdominal muscles in the front that really do help to strengthen your body so that you don't strain those back muscles in the back.
1: Yes, and a lot of people, core is primarily the abdomen, but it's actually your whole body. When you think of core, think of a gymnast on a high beam, for instance. They're not just using their stomach to stay up. They're using all their muscles. It's the coordination of all the muscles
0: and using them in sync. And so that's really one of the things that you want to try and work on. Now, interestingly, you didn't mention x-rays or MRIs. So conservative treatment may or may not include imaging.
1: Yeah. Initially, uh, imaging is not necessarily recommended unless you have red flags, you know, fevers or sudden loss in motor function. Things of that nature would require imaging. But initially, a typical back pain acutely, usually conservative therapy, physical therapy, those are the first lines that you would first uh, look at before you consider doing imaging studies.
0: So in the perfect scenario, I do my PT, I get better, nothing bad ever happens again. And then in the real world... I do my therapy. I'm still having troubles. I still have back discomfort. It's been, let's just say, three months, which we defined as chronic. And now I'm still not better. I'm still just feeling like I have back pain. When do you come in?
1: So that's when I would come in. You know, we want to get you back in terms of getting back to your activities of daily living, more functional, getting back to work. Um, And how do we do that? You know, we have to evaluate that. So At that point, if conservative therapy fails, you look at imaging studies, for instance.
0: And imaging studies being x-rays or MRIs or CAT scans or whatever is most appropriate.
1: And the most useful for us, um, obviously, if you're elderly, it depends on the scenario. If you're elderly, x-rays would be great to see if there's a compression fracture. If you're young, uh, maybe an MRI more so than a CT scan.
0: So let's talk about... The Let's talk about the elderly. Let's talk about compression fractures. So that's one of the things that if you fall down when you're older or if you have a history of osteoporosis or if you lift something heavy and you happen to be someone who's over 75 and you start to have pinpoint pain in your back. There's a reason why we get worried about compression fractures. What exactly is, because people think of fractures like two pieces broke off and now they're floating around, but that's not really a good analogy for a compression fracture. How would you describe that type of a problem?
1: So a compression fracture is usually related to a number of, it could be trauma, you know, like a motor vehicle accident and you're getting thrown at 50 miles an hour, Um, or it's cancerous, or it's osteoporosis, which, you know, in our elderly is pretty common. You know, 54 million people are at risk in America for compression for osteoporosis. Um, 10 million people have it. Women um, have a 50% increased chance of osteoporosis, while men are about 25%. And what compression fracture is, is think of the bones in your spine. They look like hockey pucks, and they're held up by a bunch of stilts. But as you age, those stilts start to break and thin out, and it's, they collapse. And that's what that whole bone does, is it collapses. And that causes a lot of pain from the micromotion in the bone. Um, and then when you breathe, your muscles that are attached to your spine and your ribs move those bones. And that causes a lot of pain. So when you're elderly, you're at risk for pneumonia because you're not taking good deep breaths. Um, so there's you know other comorbid mo- cor- mor- issues that are involved. It affects the mechanics of the lungs.
0: So I, I often think about it like... A parking garage. Yeah. And the one floor collapses on top of the other floor. It used to have those poles that you try not to hit when you drive through, and now squash. It yes. just fell on top of one another. It's
1: like a sinkhole.
0: Okay. It's like a sinkhole. So in that, in those folks who might be older or who might not be able to, to do much about it, does that back pain get better just as well as, hey, I lifted up my couch pain?
1: So yes, amazingly, um, more than 70% of these patients usually get better with conservative therapy or not even doing anything at all. You know, usually the acute inflammation causes a lot of pain and the irritation, but with time, they usually resolve on their own. So some of the recommendations now are six weeks of conservative therapy, over-the-counter analgesics, rest, so forth. Um, But you know, if the pain still is significant, and we're talking about what we call a a pain scale greater than six, usually seven or above, and persistent chronic pain, pinpoint pain in the in the where that fracture is, um, not going down the leg, may radiate to the sides a little bit, um, then that's a good potential risk that there might be a um, indication that there might be a compression fracture.
0: So we're looking at people on a scale of 1 to 10, pain of a 6. The pain has to be in an area that makes sense to where they have a fracture. Exactly. So that you could have an old fracture, and it doesn't hurt, and then pain somewhere else, and that's not related to your old fracture. So you kind of have to have the anatomy match the symptoms. Exactly. And in that case, if it's still a problem, what can people do about it? What if those folks fail conservative treatment? What are some of the options?
1: So one of the great things that are out there are things called vertebroplasty or kyphoplasty, otherwise known as vertebral augmentation. And what that involves is putting a cement into the fractured bone cavity. And before we do that, we inflate it. Well, you can either inject the cement directly in to stabilize the fracture, or you can put a balloon in and inflate it and basically restore It's like pumping that collapsed um, bone and raising it back up like using a jack in a car when you're putting your um when you're putting replacing your tires. And then once we fill it with air, then we deflate it, pull the balloon out, and then we fill that cavity with cement. And what that does is it restores height and which sometimes that height change can affect breathing as well.
0: And so it really just gets you back to the way that that spine was was dealing with pressure and pain and all those sorts of things before, it restores the height. Yes. And it's that collapse and movement of those bone fragments internally that causes a lot of pain that makes people not take the deep breaths. Exactly. So this is one option for people to help if they have a compression fracture. But is there a time frame element? I mean, we mentioned that you know time could help these folks, so they have to wait a certain amount of time because they might be able to avoid doing anything invasive. But then at some point... You have to say, okay, you still have pain after, what, three months or so?
1: So with compression fractures, usually you expect it to resolve within about six weeks. Okay,
0: so a so month two, and a half.
1: Yeah, if it's two months, then you, you really want to consider doing um, a vertebral, vertebral augmentation procedure. But if we're talking about a year, you know, might not always be the case.
0: Well, and the body has its own way to heal. So if the body's already started to make some changes to how the muscles and the joints and the ligaments interact, then a year later, restoring that to where it was a year prior might cause a whole other set of pain and other symptoms. Yes,
1: exactly. Your body adapts um, to whatever scenario it's given. And if you try to change that, now you're developing potentially more pain. So a lot of people end up getting myofascial pain, trigger points, the muscles are strained, the ligaments are strained, and so sometimes the pain isn't coming from the fracture itself, but it's coming from the adjacent structures.
0: So what kind of cement are we putting in here? I mean, it's not like, you know, your standard cement.
1: No, it's what we call polymethacrylate. And it, it heats up, um, it's liquidy, so you're able to deliver it, and then it hardens fairly quickly. And they have different types, um, but usually roughly about 10 to 20 minutes. You know, they average about 15 minutes. Um, There's different types of cement, depending on the scenario. If you had a young 25-year-old who was in a motorcycle accident, got thrown off the motorcycle, had traumatic fractures, you might want to consider, you know, a a cement such as Cortaz, which allows neovascularization, which means it allows blood flow to develop in there so that, you know, they're able to hopefully grow more bone.
0: And the body doesn't react to the cement. It stays sterile in the body. Yes. It doesn't cause infection. It doesn't cause any other troubles. No,
1: it's pretty inert.
0: So what about some of the older folks? What are the success rates with doing these sorts of augmentation procedures in someone who has a fracture with pain that doesn't tend to get better after that six weeks? I mean, is it a fairly successful procedure, or does it really just depend on does the right person do it?
1: Exactly. So it's all about um, patient selection. So does the patient have pain from the compression fracture, first of all? You know, a lot of times you hear stories of people getting a kyphoplasty done when they have low back pain, but the fracture's in the middle of their back.
0: So it doesn't really make sense anatomically. So those people will fail.
1: But if you pick the patient correctly and they have one level, maybe two, um, your success rate's much higher.
0: So you can only do, well, do you only do one at a time or do you do two or three at a time depending on the need. So
1: you can do as many levels as are required, but the more levels involved, the more likely you're going to fail.
0: So you have to really be careful and it's this it sounds like it's a very selective procedure that could be wildly successful for the right individuals. Yes. But not necessarily for everyone.
1: Yeah. Because if you have more than one level compressed and fractured, you have other things going on that are changing and just putting cement in those in those bone Vertebra aren't going to be the only solution. There's probably going to be adjacent structure pain as well.
0: And so if someone did have a compression fracture that was, let's say, not traumatic, let's say it's an older person and they have a diagnosis of osteoporosis, would you ever put cement into the bones that look like they're about to fracture but have not yet, that just looks so brittle that it's it's highly probable, or is that sort of a little too proactive?
1: Um, Generally, it's a little too proactive. Conservative is always better. But there are some people who do that. Um, You know, I can't fault them for their intentions, but generally that's not something you do. Just like epidural steroid injections. You don't do them to prevent. You do it to treat acutely.
0: So really, you have to have symptoms before we start doing these sorts of procedures. Generally, yes. And, you know, kyphoplasty and vertebroplasty have been around for a few years, and they kind of fell out of vogue after a while. How come?
1: Well, some of the studies showed that they weren't um, as successful but i honestly when you look at the studies a lot of it really is patient selection
0: so if the wrong person had it yeah then it really wasn't destined to work
1: yeah and there you know there are some other caveats as well you know somebody who has osteoporosis has osteoporosis so even though you put bone cement they're still collapsing going on around the cement so they still develop pain as well or they have adjacent fractures which if you had a compression fracture you're, I think it's 85% likely to have another fracture within that same year at an adjacent level.
0: So if you had a fracture of like an L2 exactly, and it was osteoporosis causing it, not necessarily trauma, an L1 could come nearby, an L3 could be nearby, exactly. you could have another fracture. So stabilizing just the L2 really doesn't prevent the metabolic process that has resulted in your bones being so weak.
1: No, it's just a tri- it's just treating that pain at that time to hopefully minimize the chance of another fracture developing by stabilizing that level, um, but also just increasing the patient's ability to have pain relief and increase their function.
0: Well, and then it gets back to once you do the procedure, how can you prevent the fracture from happening again. So So more of the education or an osteoporosis situation, maybe more of the medications that are given, Phosphamax, Boniva, Actinel, all these other medicines out there, Prolia, Reclast, the other things to stabilize bones. All
1: those other ones. You know, the only problem is most of these medications, as we know, they don't don't increase bone growth. Um, They just slow it down. Yeah, the only one that does increase bone growth um, that's out in the market is for tail, which right? Is and a that's the hormone. It's
0: a wonderful medicine, but you got to inject it yourself. Yes, it's and that injections. idea already, I've lost some folks. <laughs> yes. You know, and I know that I can I see, see them that. in the office, and I'm like, "Will you inject this yourself?" And they're like, oh, "That would not be the one I'm choosing." So. You're right, that is the only one that's shown to build bone. Everything else is sort of stabilized the bone you have, and hopefully Slow it not down. have the process continue as quickly. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Philip Lim. He is an interventional pain management specialist at Queens Medical Center. And today, we're talking about back pain. If you have it, and you've ever had vertebroplasty or kyphoplasty, we'd like to hear about your experience. How did it go, and did it do any good for you? When we come back, we're going to talk some more about other causes of back pain and what are really the options out there for those folks who have problems with their back. Are they destined to have a bad back for life? Not necessarily, and we'll talk about why in just a few minutes. Feel free to join us. As always, our conversation is your conversation, 941-3689. Toll-free Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. I became aware of public radio first when I was in graduate school. I was a very fast fan, and from that point on, every place that I've ever lived, I seek out the public radio station on the radio dial, even if I'm vacationing someplace. And if there's any drive involved, I'm looking for the public radio station
2: where I go. Member supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Find out how to travel the world from your kitchen.
0: You know, and it's something that's so accessible, I can't stress enough, that all you need to do is open that spice drawer.
3: The importance of a good ham in Spain. Jamon, it's like a religion for us. And learn the after-dinner customs of Italy and the joys of Nordic cuisine. And I don't know that I would necessarily eat pickled herring if I wasn't a Dane or I wasn't a Scandinavian.
2: It's on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m., following Fresh Air. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente.
0: Welcome back to the Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Philip Lim. And today we're talking about interventional pain control and what can we do when someone has spinal or back pain. Right before the break, we were talking about compression fractures and how sometimes doing a procedure known as vertebral augmentation or vertebroplasty or kyphoplasty can help in the right person to resolve some of that discomfort if it comes from a compression in their spine but there's other possible causes of back pain and we are certainly going to review some of those as well now if you've ever had back surgery whether it be for kyphoplasty vertebroplasty or some other type of back surgery did it work for you and if you had to do it all over again would you or would there be some other modalities you would consider and those are things we're going to talk about but you can join us at 941-3689, toll Free Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Lim, let's say that it's the young person who comes in, injures their back, they have a strain, they go ahead, they do their conservative treatment, try their medication. It doesn't really get them back to where they need to go. They do the physical therapy, still not back to where they want to be. And they've done some imaging studies, and they have a couple of bulging discs in the, on there. We'll say it's an MRI that are in areas consistent with the discomfort, but not bad enough to need a surgery. So their doctor suggests they see someone like yourself. What could you do to help that individual?
1: So great question. So a lot of patients with back pain tend to f- sometimes fail the conservative therapy. That's the first line. Um, but they're not bad enough to require surgery. So they come to pain specialists like myself who evaluate them and see if we can determine what the etiology or the cause of their back pain is, which can either be a disc, it can be muscles, it can be ligaments, it can be joints. And based on the presentation, their symptoms, and the history, we're able to kind of tease out what we think the the cause of the pain is. Um, And then there's things that we can do. You know, we, we either recommend other therapies or we talk about injections. Um, sometimes they're on sometimes we get patients who have been chronic pain for so long, and they 're on pain medications and sometimes we can offer interventions such as injections to get them off their pain medications. as you know, pain medications is a big problem nowadays, so there's a huge problem with opioids, so what we 're trying to do is manage pain conservatively um, but maybe without medications chronically
0: so when we talk about injections let 's talk about that for a moment injections of what.
1: So, if somebody presents with low back pain without referral pain down the leg, or especially with referral pain down the leg, as we know as sciatica, um, they'd be great candidate for an epidural steroid injection. Now, epidural. A lot of the treatments that we offer aren't necessarily curative; they're management tools. Um, so, it's a lifestyle management process with these patients with chronic back pain. Um, sometimes they resolve, and they're back, you know, to their normal activities. Um, Sometimes it's temporary and we have to manage it, but it's more about educating the patients. Um, So epidural steroid injections are one way to help decrease that inflammation around the disc and the nerves and take off a lot of that pins and needle feeling going down the leg.
0: Sure, because we talk about non-steroidal anti-inflammatories as things that you can get in pills like, you know, Aleve or Naproxen, ibuprofen, Advil, Motrin. And so then we talk about steroidal anti-inflammatories, and that's cortisone, prednisone. Those are your steroids. Yes. That's what you're putting in these injections. Yes. Because it tends to be localized to the area. You can't really inject NSAIDs. I don't think there's such a way to do that in the spine. But also it's it's a way to... Really get at the root of the problem if, in fact, your nerve root is swollen. Exactly. Literally, get to the root. Exactly. Okay. We've got a caller on the line. We've got Brendan from Wailoa. Brendan, welcome to The Body Show.
4: Aloha. Aloha.
0: Aloha. What can we do for you?
4: Well, just a little bit of my wisdom just from years of dealing with it. Um, I I could do an advertisement for a leave, And it'd be an advertisement nobody's ever done, because people take it after their back hurts. I take it before. It stops the nerve from pinching.
0: So do you have chronic back problems, Brendan?
4: I suffer for 30 years now. And I don't know if you call it chronic. I've gotten better with age. I'm 55, and I've gotten better. But when it goes, which is now I'm, I'm up to once a year, it goes out, and... You can't you can't move an inch. There's no walking. There's, You're done. You can't walk. And so I've dealt like they took me to the hospital a year ago when it happened last time. I've been eight months now. So it happened eight months ago. And I crawled out of the hospital the next day because they could not help me. There's no helping. The same spasms. And they weren't giving me the proper anti-inflammatory, the proper muscle relaxer. And those are the two things you need. You've got to get that swelling down. But not to diss chiropractors, but I've found it to be the biggest waste of money I've ever spent. Because people will go, and then they'll be better in five days, and they'll think it was the Cairo. It's time. The f- inflammation will come down. So not to say definitely chiros are bad, but they've done me absolutely no good except leasing my wallet. Go on.
0: Well, Brendan, if your wallet's lighter, hopefully it uh, doesn't put so much stress on your back. But I definitely agree with you. (laughs) Anti-inflammatories like Aleve do a great job um, for folks who know when to take them, how to take them, and who don't have kidney problems or heart problems or some of the other issues. Now, it sounds like you take them sort of proactively, Brendan. I'm curious, do you happen to know when your back is about to go out? And if so, do you start taking them to prevent that?
4: Well, if I'm going to go surfing and I feel like because I just did carpentry and I'm bent over for two days doing baseboard trim and I'm, I'm tweaked and then I scuba dive and, oh, it gets worse and worse and then I go to surf, I know it's going to happen. I feel a little bit of it's coming on and that that'll really prevent it because I've been surfing and had it go and barely made it back to the beach, you know. So, yeah, it's it's something I know when it's coming now. <laughs> I've learned
0: well, it sounds like you've learned. And over time,
4: you've yeah, said... The best answer I've found is within you. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad to hear him talking about physical therapy because you got I've had every gizmo, the, the TENS machine and the, the anti-gravity boots and I've done all that. And the answer has been, you know, yoga is great if you can get a steady diet of it. And that's, that's a proactive thing. I think that's one of the best answers personally. But, yes, just to put my two cents in, you guys have fun and and uh, keep up the good work.
0: All right. Thank you, Brendan. No, thank you, Brendan. You know, and, and Dr. Lemmy sort of echoes a lot of what you mentioned, which is doing the exercise, doing the stretching, taking the anti-inflammatory. He's like your – he's your first he's portion of the talk. He's, he's your poster, poster child. child. I think the Aleve folks would like to know that yeah, as well. Yeah, I'm now, sure <laughs> – He mentioned a couple of interesting things, and he said, um, you know, yoga is a good method of trying to stretch. And do you find that that helps a lot of folks?
1: Yeah, yoga is actually very good. If you look at a lot of the studies, um, yoga has better outcomes than a lot of the things out there, more than back surgery, more than injections, more than anything. Um, You know, yoga is great because it's something you can do at home. Um, Obviously, you need to learn how to do it the right way first. But once you learn, you can do it at home, you can do it in your car. And even the meditation component of it helps with the amplification of your pain. You know, there's some other treatments in psychology like biofeedback that can help you work on that. But sometimes you don't, you're not able to get to a psychologist. Yoga is something you can use in your daily routine.
0: Now, he also mentioned that chiropractic is not something that helped him. Have you seen folks get relief from doing chiropractic? I mean, for some folks, it's it's nirvana for them. It works great, and for other folks, not so much. Is it kind of like the augmentation procedures? It depends on the situation and the individual?
1: Yeah, everyone's different, you know. We're all wired differently. We're all made differently. Some people respond great to chiropractic. Some people require chiropractic every day or every other day. And then after That'll a series— That'll lighten your wallet. Oh, yeah. But after a series of treatments, some of them just need maintenance therapy. And if that helps them stay active, live their life— and stay off medications you know more power to them but you know everyone's a little different so
0: well and I guess the general idea is if there's something that we can do to empower ourselves to decrease the chances of having the pain or be able to figure out how to deal with our body whether it be our spine our neck or whatever it is and the pain and find a way to either exercise or stretch or do some kind of a therapy then it's up to you and you can do those activities on your own Yeah,
1: because at the end of the day the pain is your pain. So, what the key to do is to educate and educate yourself, and learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you. If it doesn't work, move on, try something different. Um, but it's all about education, you know. Um, sometimes education's lost through the shuffle of healthcare, the way it is.
0: True. And Brendan said what he learned is he knows his body, and he's he's found what works for him. And it took him trial and error. It was nice to hear him say that he got got uh, smarter with age. Not a lot of people agree that with age comes more wisdom, but I'm with you, Brandon. With <laughs> age comes wisdom and maybe worsening back pain, but you've got that under good control. So and good job.
1: And he's very active. Yeah, I mean, surfing. He's surfing, all scuba stuff. diving. I
0: Absolutely. Mean, and that's another thing is that just because you have back pain, you don't have to avoid all activity forever. Exactly. There are certain things you can do that really can help you feel better, but also maybe not for your back, just physically feel better. You yes. know, scuba diving. People really enjoy spending time in nature, and it's not necessarily therapeutic for their back, but it's not harmful either.
1: No, and the endorphin effects, right? I mean, those are positive effects on your body, and that can have a placebo effect as well, or it has an actual effect.
0: Actual effect, absolutely. Okay. All right, we've got another caller on the line. We've got Azar from Maui. Azar,
5: welcome to The Body Show. Thank you, Dr. Kozak. I was laughing because you were talking with the age comes a lot of issues, which is true. I had actually a laminectomy or fusion or augmentation in actually 2008 when I was uh, 58 years old. And um, I have been so happy with it. My pain was to the point I could not put my left foot down. I was shaking with pain and it came out after doing couple of days of very, very heavy job to teach our gardener, my husband's gardener how to work and then I went and tried to do practice with golf and that was it. So, I have um, three titanium rods and four three-inch screws in my back. They had they, every work they can do on me and I have never been happier. Of course, I would never be Um, as good as new when I was 40 years old but for a 66 year old person who's active I go to the gym I work in the yard I do a lot of planting gardening except cutting the grass and I'm fine I'm happy and there are times if I bend down or sit on the stool to try to read, after a few hours my back starts hurting But other than that, I've been one of those lucky ones.
0: Well, yes, I have to say you have. And Dr. Lim, you know, here's somebody who needed surgery. So there are certain people for whom all the conservative treatment isn't going to work. Even the interventions may not work. And if they need a surgery, they have it. And in this situation for Azar, it worked. Yeah, it worked great. Now, she described laminectomy and a couple of other things and screws. What exactly is a laminectomy? Now, I know it's kind of hard for people... Just listening to picture it, you have this awesome spine model here in the studio, which is great, but only I can see it. Not everybody can. So I'll, I'll take a little photo later. We'll post you on Facebook holding the spine okay. so people can all check it out. But what is a laminectomy? Ectomy means you took something out. Where did it go?
1: So a laminectomy, so think of your spine as a PVC pipe, for instance, and there's okay. a nerve in there, your spinal cord. Um, sometimes the disc bulges out or you have arthritis in the joints. Or you have spinal stenosis where all you have both of those, plus you have thickening of the ligament in the back of the, that PVC pipe. What that does is it strangulates. It's a chokehold on your spinal cord. So one way to alleviate that is to, I basically tell patients, think of unroofing the back of the spine. So now you open, you took off the roof, and now you open up the space for the nerves to breathe and the blood to circulate.
0: Okay, so let's pretend it's a twizzler. Because it's dinner time, not that I'm eating Twizzlers for <laughs> dinner, but PVC pipe, people may not understand. Gotcha. So so if, if we've got a Twizzler and we've got a stuffed Twizzler, we're going to put chocolate in it. Okay. So the chocolate's going to, this sounds really gross, right? The chocolate's going to be the spinal cord and the Twizzler is going to be the bone. Yeah. So if I needed to relieve some of the pressure, I just kind of p- take p- a little bite out of that Twizzler yeah. and let the chocolate part just sort of be open to the outside.
1: Yeah. And so now there's less pressure on that nerve and that spinal cord. And now you're not having that compression and inflammation around the spine.
0: But I can poke the chocolate now. Is that dangerous?
1: Um, No. Actually, there's a lot of muscles and tissue that are spaced between your skin and the spinal cord. shouldn't be a problem.
0: Okay. So it's not like my chocolate's going to leak out. No. All right. I know the PVC analogy was a really scientific one. (laughs) Yes, I just turned back pain into chocolate stuffed Twizzlers, I know. But it's an interesting analogy. You know, you can't go bite a PVC pipe, but you could go get some Twizzlers and bite that. So, all right. So that's how you're taking the pressure off. When we say laminectomy, that's literally what you're doing. Yes. And it's safe and people can have that done and they can still move around with their back. Is their mobility somewhat lessened over time? So generally with a laminectomy,
1: it's minimally invasive. Generally, no. Um, You still have the bony architecture that holds the spine together. Um, but where you can lose some of your mobility is when you have a fusion and sometimes a fusion is necessary if a laminectomy just isn't going to cut it and they have to take out the disc as well. Then you're talking about, and sometimes they have to fuse the joints because the joints might be causing pain. So what they'll do is they'll put screws on each of those bone levels and then put a rod to stabilize it. And then sometimes they'll even put a spacer between the bones, just kind of like Jenga, you miss that piece, it kind of collapses just to kind of add a, as a spacer. And when you do that, each level takes a little bit of motion. But if you fuse two of those levels together, you lost that much motion. So you lose a couple degrees of motion bending forward, backwards, or side to side.
0: But if you're in such severe pain, you need something like that. Exactly. You'll be happy not to move yeah, it's, as it's long a, as you don't have pain. Small compromises. Everything's a risk-benefit ratio. All right. Certainly sounds like it's something that some people may need and it could work really well for them. All right. We've got Francine on the phone from Diamond Head. Francine, welcome to The Body Show.
6: Hi. Can you, can you hear me? Yes, we, can we can hear, can hear you. you. Okay. I'm here with my dad and he, two years ago, he had kyphoplasty surgery because he had back pain. The, the back pain um, more or less resolved itself but a complication was that the cement leaked uh, and went on to his nerve. And as a result, he had to have a second operation to scrape the um, to cement me. off the nerve. And now he has ongoing pain that goes down his leg and into his foot, and he can't seem to... Um, it doesn't seem to go away, despite t- despite taking um, painkillers like um, um, Lyrica. Lyrica, Gabapentin, and um, it's um, it's a, he's listening on this right now, so he can also add something. But one of the things that occurred is that when he goes to sleep at night. And gets up in the morning, the pain isn't too bad. But as the day progresses, it gets worse and worse. Do you have some thoughts about, I listened to what you said about an epidural steroid or...
1: Yeah, um, so Francine, um, so what probably happened, and unfortunately that is one of the risk factors when you do kyphoplasty, the cement can leak out. It can touch the nerve roots. You know, so that's why when we do these procedures, we get an MRI and we really look at the architecture of the fracture and where is the fracture, is it sticking out into the spinal cord, et cetera? And that determines how we approach the putting the cement in. Um but one of the risks are cement leakage, which can compress on the nerve itself, and you end up having to go in and remove some of that scraping, as you say, or corpectomy or something. Um but now he has what it sounds like permanent nerve injury. Um, Lyrica is a great choice. Gabapentin's great choice. Any of these, what we call neuropathic agents, what they do is they kind of think of it as slowing down the nerve so it's not firing as much. So you don't feel those pins and needles or that um, burning down the leg. Um, but sometimes patients don't respond to that. And right. sometimes an, there's this chronic inflammation there. And the inflammation is a bunch of these fancy words called interleukin, cytokines, phospholipase A2. Um, what we do is we inject steroids there. And what we actually found, some of the new, newer studies showed that maybe even just the act of water, injecting fluid and washing it away um, might give you relief. Um, but it is a management tool. It's not a cure. Um, but if it gives you relief, it's something you can do every three months or six months to give you that relief so you don't have to take medications, or in this case where medications aren't working. Um, when those things fail, there are other options too. There's things like spinal cord stimulation. Which is a way to manage the pain. Um, and what that does is it changes the f- perception of the pain. Meaning, if you feel burning pins and needles, now you feel like a massage sensation down the leg. And who wouldn't want to feel a sense of massage versus pins and needles going down their leg all day long?
6: Well, oh, I know he would be satisfied with management. You know, if he relaxes, nothing happens. But if he falls asleep.
1: Yeah, so what might be happening is during the day to day activities, There's this concept called neuroflossing, where the nerve, as you move or bend forward, the nerves kind of floss in and out of the holes in the spine. And that irritation along the bone can cause it to get inflamed. And so when he sleeps, he's lying still. There's not a lot of that motion, and that inflammation reduces. Um, That's probably why when he wakes up in the morning, he feels a little bit better because he's rested. But as the day progresses, it probably gets worse. This is just a theory, but this is one of the ideas that's um, talked about out there.
6: So uh, um, a steroid injection like cortisone or whatever would help, perhaps?
1: Yes. I think in your your father's case, this is a perfect example. He's a good uh, patient for an epidural steroid injection, or at least a trial of an epidural steroid injection.
6: Okay. Um, Now, you need a referral from his primary physician, right?
1: Generally, yes.
6: Okay. Okay, because he yeah he would be very happy with that. Uh, we were looking at all sorts of options, and I know that when you get um, uh, a inflammation of your uh, your nerve, sometimes you know it, it shows potassium deficiencies or whatever. But this seems to be so related to his surgery of of scraping the nerve and and inflammation.
1: Yeah. So, you know, there's always pros and cons to everything, but everything has to be weighed. What's the benefit versus that risk of doing that procedure? So an epidural steroid injection may be a a benefit.
6: Okay.
0: All right, Francine, it sounds like you've got a plan, and hopefully both you and your dad will notice some improvement, and he'll be able to manage things better without having as much discomfort. But certainly I'm happy to know that, You know, he is able to at least have some relief during the nighttime. And I'm glad we were able to talk about that because there's a lot of different things that when we come back in just a minute, we are going to discuss is who benefits from these spinal injections, how are they done, and what sort of complications might happen, and how can they be managed. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Philip Lim. He is an interventional pain medicine specialist at Queen's Medical Center. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about these injections and do they work, and if so, Howell, and we'll be right back taking your call if you need anything that you would like to discuss at 941-3689. Tell the Free Neighbor Islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
7: Bridie had golden curls like a Botticelli angel and a face that didn't go with them. A long, straight nose, dark eyes, and she wanted to be an actress.
8: The Only Girl for Him, this week on Selected
2: Shorts, from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., following Travel with Rick Steves. Work, relationships, health, child-rearing,
7: all benefit from embracing gratitude. Gratitude is this rich,
3: complex emotion that we can pin that to a specific location of the brain is amazing to me.
7: Hi, I'm Susan Sarandon. Join me for
2: the Science of Gratitude from PRI, Public Radio International. Thanksgiving Day at 5 p.m. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii and Ulupono Initiative.
0: Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak in the studio with Dr. Philip Lim, Interventional Spine Specialist at Queens Medical Center. And we are talking today about back problems. We talked a little bit about ways to treat compression fractures. We just heard... From Francine and Diamondhead about her dad who's suffering with a complication from that, but may in fact have some things he could benefit from regarding interventions to his spine. And we now have Gabby from Maui on the line. Gabby, welcome to the Body Show. Hi
7: there. What can we do oh, for you today? I could not believe how happy I was when I turned on the radio about 40 minutes ago and heard what you were talking about. I have a few questions, um, but I will have to take the answer off air. But I wanted to first say that to Francine, if she's still listening, please take her dad to go get an epidural injection. They don't always work as far as like, out of the 42 I've had, about 36 worked. And um, I've been going about eight years now with a double annular tear, L4, L5, from a horrible car accident. And um, so that was one thing that the epidurals are great and hopefully that will help her go there, a good uh, vote for it here. But what I want to ask Dr. Lim is a couple things. I have been searching and searching searching for a non-major surgical uh, answer for my problem. I've been offered by my insurance to have a double fusion, which is major, and I don't want to do that. I mean, I've been told, in fact, by other doctors that I've talked to on the telephone and have sent my uh, MRIs to that my injury is not indicated. for The, the indication is not for that surgical um, to have that surgery for it. In fact, I've been talking to a couple of doctors at a laser spine place, and they say that they can probably offer me higher percentages. But my problem, and this is a a question I'm trying to get answered, is why or where, if if there's no why, why are there no laser surgery options in Hawaii? And then if they are, where are they, and how does one find them?
1: So great question, Gabby. Um, These are questions I get all the time. The Laser Spine Institute, as everybody hears about, has great marketing power. <laughs> they advertise a lot, so you hear a lot about them. Um, you know, what's funny is the Laser Spine Institute, the thing that they market is really a procedure that's really only offered and amenable for about 5% of the patients with disc pain. Um, it's but a, isn't
7: it worth it? I mean, they told me that I had a fairly good chance at yeah, 22500 so instead of 160000 that you'd think my insurance company would be happy to send me there on a the private corporate jet.
1: Well, it's, it's ironic. So, you know, what they <laughs> advertise doing the Laser Spine Institute is a laser endoscopic procedure, which is only a minimum 5% of the patients with back pain. Uh, the rest of them are going to get traditional back surgery at the Laser Spine Institute. Um, so those are surgeries you can get by any spine surgeon on this in this state, in the, on this island, in Oahu. Which surgery? I'm
7: sorry, which one? So
1: whether it be a, a foraminotomy, or, or which is making the hole bigger where the nerve comes out. And a lot of times that's all you really need. Or a laminectomy, which is unroofing the back of the spine, as we talked about. Or, if worst case scenario, a fusion. Um, there are other things out there um, that insurances don't cover, unfortunately, which is um, doing things like regenerative approaches, such as injecting stem cells. Or we can't really say stem cells, but right. um, mesenchymal cells that are, are things that can re- cause regeneration of discs. Right. Um, and those are great those are new and up and coming things and there's been a few studies out that have showed you know on an MRI, a bad disc looks black, shrivelled up um, torn, and then they inject these cells and you see repeat mRIs where the disc is completely reinflated inflated um, well, and are patients' the young, back pain
6: brilliant doctors
1: they are i mean we're you're talking to one right here. I do this procedure, but insurance will not cover it so Unfortunately, you don't see it happen a lot because, you know, insurance won't cover that procedure. Unfortunately, and it's not an it's fairly expensive.
0: So, Doctor Lim, what you're saying is lasers may or may not help the back, but a lot of folks might wind up doing traditional surgery anyway. Yes. And there are some, and ironically, just so you know, um, we're going to be talking about some of the platelet-rich plasma injections and stuff like that next week. So we're going to sort of take a look a little bit about what are some of these injections. Now, it may or may not include a discussion on stem cells per se, but how can we use the body's own power to-, exactly. to provide more restorative, regenerative treatment of the back. So yeah.
1: And that's the new thing right now. It's
0: new. And when it's new and it's up and coming, it's often not necessarily reimbursed because there's no proof in studies yet. Yes. So that's the only difficulty that, Gabby, you might be having with insurance and things of that nature. But one of the other things that she mentioned that I think was kind of curious is that she's had about 42 injections. So yeah. is there ever a limit to how many you can have, particularly if they're in different levels?
1: No. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, they read on the internet and and ask me, I thought I can only have three in my whole entire life. Well, that's not true. And then you hear the other one, three in a year. Um, Generally, a lot of the guys out there will say five to six a year is safe, conservatively. Um, Can steroids cause further degeneration of discs and so forth? Yes. So you have to weigh the risks and benefits. You know, does it allow you to stay more functional and so forth? Then it might be worth that risk. But, you know, if you had three a year, it's it's usually not too much of a problem at all. You know, most people are able to be functional, stay off medications, go to work, spend time with their family. So it's worth it.
0: Now I've talked to some other folks about the steroid injections before and one of the other things that allows people to do is if they don't feel the discomfort maybe they can do some of the exercises they've been avoiding because it hurts so much. So core work and other things if they just if they know how to do it correctly but pain limits them from doing it, then after they get an injection work with a the therapist strengthen those muscles that now you can do the activity. Yes. So the steroid shot is kind of like a bridge.
1: It's a bridge definitely. It's all about management. And- and it's multimodal management, as we call it. So it's not just one. There's not one magic pill. It's doing a little bit of everything and tweaking it to fit you, the individual, and your lifestyle.
0: All right. We've got time for a couple more quick calls. we got Rob from Diamond Head. Rob, welcome to The Body Show.
3: Hello, Dr. Kathy. Hello um, there. And uh, Dr. Lynn, I have a, a question regarding a condition called DISH, uh, diffuse idiopathic Skeletal hyperostosis. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, yes. but I was diagnosed with that about a year and a half ago. So,
1: was it diagnosed by a chiropractor? I take it.
3: Uh, well, actually, I, I saw. I went to about ten people after I had it. Everything from uh, chiropractors to uh, uh, traditional traditional doctors to um, um, holistic doctors to my general. Uh, uh, my GP to uh, uh, to to the um, uh, to a, a traditional um, osteopath, and um, and then you know I took the X-rays and they could definitely see and it and it has all of the classic characteristics of uh, of dish, and um, so my question to you, well first of all, how familiar you're, are you with this condition, and uh, do you think that there's anything that can be done about the condition?
1: So, yeah, there there's a couple things. I mean, obviously, conservative first. Um, you know what they see on X rays. X rays really only show bone, so it doesn't show ligaments, it doesn't show soft tissue, it doesn't show muscle. So what dishes is generally arthritic findings, degenerative findings throughout the spine. Um, sometimes, but we don't know which specific degenerations are causing more of your pain. So if your pain's more so in the joints, there are treatments out there, um, either facet, which are the joints of the spine, facet injections, or if it's a chronic condition, um, the injections might not be a long-term solution. So a better long-term solution is what we call radiofrequency ablation, which is essentially a heat treatment to the nerve where it kind of deadens the nerve for a good six months to a year. And you don't feel that pain anymore because what that nerve does is it sends a signal back up through your spinal cord into your brain and tells you you have pain. And when we say pain is in your head, it theoretically is. And so what we're doing is we're cutting off that signal to your brain so you don't know that the pain's there and you're able to function pain-free. But then that nerve regenerates and the pain comes back, but then you redo the procedure
0: so there's a couple of things that could be done. First of all, you've heard of this diagnosis yes. quite a bit. And then you also know enough to know there's other options, that it may be injections, but it may also be this radiofrequency ablation of the nerve. So there are some therapies out there that could potentially, for somebody who's really impaired with their activities, be tried. No guarantee, but something that something that uh, Rob could consider. Yes. All right. We've got Cindy on the line from IAS. Cindy, what can we do for you?
2: Hi, thank you. I'm a 57-year-old woman, and i would had spinal stenosis for probably about eight years that I've known of. And um, I started having some very obvious symptoms on it, so I went in and, and saw an orthopedic doctor and was told that I need a surgery for a laminectomy decompression. Well, um, we had scheduled it, and I guess it was the third time I had to reschedule, that he said, well, you really need to come in and have it done because instead of one, we now have to do three. And he called it a hemi-laminectomy decompression. And I guess I was so stunned over the word hemi and that there were three instead of one that my brain just didn't even think to ask any questions. And what is the difference between a hemi-laminectomy decompression and just... uh, laminectomy decompression, and I can take my answer off the air.
0: All right, Cindy, thanks. You really encapsulated that question. And I have no idea what the answer is, which is why we have fabulous folks like Dr. Lim here in the hot seat. Hemi laminectomy decompression versus my biting the Twizzler with the chocolate inside laminectomy.
1: So it's just like biting the chocolate, but just biting off half of the Twizzler.
0: So that's really the difference. Is yeah. it's, hemi means half. half of. Yeah. So you don't take the whole area, no. you just take half.
1: So for instance, if your pain symptoms are on the left, they would just take out the left side of the lamina, not the right side.
0: So potentially this could be really helpful for Cindy. Yes. That although the terminology changed, the basic procedure is essentially the same and it's just a matter of to what extent.
1: Yeah. So All I right. think the surgeon's just trying to pinpoint the specific level involved based on her pain pattern and then just decompressing that specific level, but not the whole thing, just trying to isolate that specific spot.
0: All right, so this sounds like a good thing, Cindy. They're, they're zeroing in on where you have troubles. So it sounds scary, but it's actually maybe even a more precise procedure. So always good to get a chance to ask questions after you leave the doctor's office because that never happens. You leave and then you have questions. All right, we've got Chris in the line from Makiki. Chris, we've got just about a minute or two. What can we do for you? Uh, Thanks
8: for taking my call. I'm going to try to make this really quick.
0: Um, You
8: might have already kind
0: of answered my question,
8: but um, I have been having back pain for quite some time. Um, After waiting a year and a half, I had a knee replacement. And um, of course, you go through the drugs and recovery, and you feel so much better until they take you off the drugs. And then all of a sudden, all my pain came back. And I thought it was because I was walking so poorly for so long that um, I was having pain, but I was doing physical therapy and all of a sudden I started getting pain in my hips and this whole thing and I had an x-ray and they found that I had um, severe arthritis in my back. And apparently what's happening is it's, it's wrapping around uh, like sciatica to the front and going down to my knee, which is impairing my progress of course, with um, the knee replacement. But I am set up for an MRI on the first and I can't wait um, but it, it, I don't know, the the physiatrist that I'm seeing thinks that she might be able to possibly deaden the nerve, all depending upon the MRI. Um, can you kind of like talk a little bit about arthritis and are there any other options or what, what kind of options do I have knowing that arthritis doesn't have a cure?
0: And- all right, Chris, we're going to get to your answer really quick because... I'm going to put Dr. Lim in the hot seat. You've got a minute. A minute? A minute. Maybe a minute and 10 seconds. Arthritis, it is such a complicated process. But, you know, is this common that you have arthritis that sort of wraps around and gives you pain towards the front? And is that amenable to things like injections?
1: So, you know, you obviously history, 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 symptoms. So your symptoms sound, if they're going down to the knee and go down the front, you think L4 dermatome. So I wouldn't be surprised if your MRI shows some sort of findings on L3-4. But it also could be low. If it's below the waist, it could be your SI joint, the sacroiliac joint, which wraps around and goes in the groin, sometimes refers down the leg. So it could be an SI joint. If you have an SI joint dysfunction, that's usually because the way you're walking and compensating for your knee. And so you're straining the ligaments and the muscles that attach to that extremity. And you could be having compensatory pain. And so it's just about doing the right things to unravel all that, like an onion.
0: And so really, that's where an MRI in this particular situation will help her so that her physiatrist can kind of say, okay, here's exactly where your problem is anatomically. Here's where it is symptom-wise. And if those two match, then there could be a situation where it would be someone who might see someone like yourself, an interventional pain specialist, to really figure out what to do, fix this. And All right. Well, talk about putting you in the hot seat. I want to thank you, Dr. Lim, for being on the show today. Thank you and for me. Uh, thank you. Dr. Lim is a interventional pain management specialist at Queen's Medical Center. If you want to hear this show again, click on HawaiiPublicradio.org, listen to the podcast. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Koslovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Philip Lim, who's going to have to come on again because this went by way too fast. And we will hear from well listen listen in next week. We're going to talk about regenerative medicine right here on the body show.